0: Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannan. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, God is one. Amen. Last Sunday, Deacon Benjamin used some rules for tidying up from Marie Kondo, the best-selling author and Netflix star who genuinely has some terrific principles for addressing all the clutter, which can too easily take over our closets or offices or even our whole houses. He used a few of her decluttering ideas to illuminate what Jesus was doing when he wept over Jerusalem's condition and cleaned out the inappropriate clutter from her temple. I think this was done very deftly and creatively and helped to give us a new context for this deeply spiritual gospel story. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we miss the correct lesson and interpretation or spiritual elements from the scriptures and need a more accessible, familiar, and even lower starting point and context to boost us up toward grasping the higher reality. You get to the higher rungs on a ladder by climbing up the lower rungs. There's no shame in that, that's just how ladders work. In the church, we are called to a life of very high rungs. The Christian life that we're called to is one of self-sacrifice, giving our time and money to those in need, adopting a rule of daily prayer, scripture reading, continued education. We're called to fast on certain days and certain seasons. We're expected to be present for the church's services as often as possible, but especially for Sundays and certain holy days to receive communion as regularly as possible, but also as worthily as possible. Indeed, we're supposed to scrutinize our inner disposition, to examine our thoughts, to uncover our hidden motives and insidious sins, to purify our minds and conform our hearts to God's peace and love and tenderness. In short, we're called to uh, a life of saintliness, complete and total transformation into sanctified deified little Christs. That's what the word Christian means. G.K. Chesterton wrote that the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. The life we're called to, our Christian ideal, is nothing less than the most perfect life a human could live. There is no comparison. There's no better option out there to be recommended to us from any organization, political party, religious sect, or philosophical school. We have the ideal. But like Chesterton said, it's difficult. Thankfully, though, it's also doable. And I mean that literally. We can do it. Like any difficult skill, from sports or athleticism, to playing an instrument, to mastering a trade, the process of becoming first a beginner, then proficient, then excelling, is exactly that a process. It's done by learning the rudiments first, messing up, learning from those mistakes, and carrying on. It must be done daily. It must be done constantly. After achieving one level of skill, you add a new challenge, you set a new goal, and you work toward that. To go back to the ladder metaphor, you step on the first rung, and then the second, and then the third, and then only the fourth, and so on. The Christian life is a ladder, of divine ascent. But just like in sports or being a musician or any other masterful trade, you never fully leave the rudiments behind. Pro athletes still constantly run through the basics, exercising, stretching, practicing the simple mechanics of their sport. Expert musicians still constantly play their scales, work on their finger dexterity, play through etudes. And similarly, We know that the saints who communed with God so closely that they even would glow with the uncreated light of God and see Him nearly perfectly in their hearts would still practice the rudiments of the faith like any other child or new Christian might do. They also valued rudiments that weren't even necessarily Christian. They valued what they perceived to be helpful, soul-forming rudiments from the non-Christian or even pre-Christian world around them. St. Basil the Great said, We must be conversant with poets, with historians, with orators, indeed with all men who may further our soul's salvation. We must husband resources, leaving no stone unturned, whence we might derive any aid. So we, if wise, shall take from heathen books whatever befits us and is allied to the truth, and shall pass over the rest. Marie Kondo, heathen though she might be, Has some good concepts that Deacon Ben made use of for us last week, and he passed over the rest. St. Basil, along with the whole church, has affirmed that whatever is profitable out in the world to help us build up the rudiments of virtue, of self control, magnanimity, tenderness of heart, a recognition of beauty, of modesty, frugality, time management, decluttering and organization whatever we can learn from outside sources to help us prepare for the higher and more expert Christian values and principles, then we should avail ourselves of those. Let us be proved bankers, said St. John of Damascus, and amass the genuine and pure gold while we reject the spurious. Let us accept the best sayings of the pagan prophets and poets. And of course, as St. Paul tells us, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In an article recently republished on the Orthodox West Journal, the Sisters of St. Xenia Monastery expressed a concern that in our modern time and place, we have lost so much that was pure, honorable, commendable, etc., from our culture. They explain that we're not even living anymore in the West, but in the fading memory of the West, the degenerate and decaying vestiges of Western culture. They insist that our present culture is an absence of culture, a vacuum that has left our souls shrunken and our spirits stifled. Before trying to plunge Our spirits into the depths of orthodoxy today's man must first feed his soul for its malnutrition will not permit any profound growth of spirit modern western man is like a plant with the shallowest possible roots and he naturally cannot support any great growth his spirit is no longer capable of soaring because a lofty spirit must rise out of a deep soul which has the maturity the sensitivity to feel noble things and to become ennobled by them. So where do we find these things to mature our souls so that they're able to support the soaring of our spirits? We have to know where to look in the deep tradition that once was our Western culture. The nourishment provided by a thousand years of orthodoxy was the spiritual ground in which grew all the best in Western thought and art, say the sisters. That impetus remains largely intact until the enlightenment was eroded greatly during the romantic age and finally crumbled entirely in our own time. We have to recover for our own benefit, the art, the music, the writing that sprung from that old spirit. They say we must recover the feelings and sensitivities which were once the common property of all civilized Western people. Those works of art, of literature, of music, which are pre-modern, are of essential value to us. They can teach us, as will nothing we ourselves now produce. What nobility is, what virtue is, what honor and purity are, what sacrifice and loyalty are, what is worthy and what is not. Poetry, music, art, fiction are not spiritual food but are rather the milk and bread we need to strengthen ourselves to live on the meat of the Spirit. We must learn what is to be carried on, the thunder, what it is to be carried on the thunder of a fugue, to be engulfed in the madness of Lear, to be consumed with the sanity of Quixote. We need to be refreshed by the health and charity of Dickens, illumined by the clarity and perception of Hugo ballasted by the sober gravity and sidelong wit of Johnson, touched by the fire of Dunn, soothed by Chaucer's flowering springtime. The parable from our Gospel story today was told to a group of Pharisees who trusted in their own righteousness, probably because of uh, what the Pharisaical character that Jesus chose us, said of himself. These Pharisees did not extort Others, they did not act unjustly. They didn't commit adultery. They fasted regularly, which is a difficult thing to do, if any of us have tried. And they tithed from their income, which is not always easy either when you feel like you're pressed and need to hold on to every penny that you have. Uh, We can assume that this character and the Pharisees that Jesus was addressing actually had formed their souls in the richness of the law the rich images images used by the prophets, the rich poetry of the Psalms. But for all the steps that they had ascended, theirs was a ladder to nowhere. They missed the one thing needful, an orientation toward God. They had indeed gathered a rich store of treasures in their soul like a a ship heavy laden with treasures, says St. John Chrysostom. But then they shipwrecked right in the harbor because they didn't know what they were about. Meanwhile, the tax collector, having none of these treasures, not in a grand ship burdened with great golden treasures, but in a little skiff barely watertight, he, his soul, found the safe harbor, and he can now make a beginning. He made it to shore with nothing, whereas the Pharisees, who had so much going for them, shipwrecked. He may be at the bottom of his ladder, but at least his ladder leads towards heaven. This parable, I think, was told to warn those who too highly value the practicing of virtues but miss the crucial need for God's radical grace and mercy. But we, so many of us from Protestant backgrounds, born and raised and reared in church, are familiar with that radical mercy and are yet maybe too unfamiliar with the legitimate value of practicing the virtues. What do you suppose that publican, that immoral extortioner of a tax collector, would do next after having made true repentance and gone down to his house justified? He's found the ladder at last, but he's at the lowest rung. Look at the letters of St. Paul to the new churches that he'd established. They contain some of the most precious and wonderfully high spiritual truths that we have. But his direct advice to the people in those letters is often just to practice very basic virtues and to avoid obvious and grievous sins. He was giving them meat in his letters that they could refer back to as they grew, but his first advice to them was just the rudiments. I'm with the Sisters of St. Zinnia in the belief that we are all, just by the accidents of being born here and now, steeped in a rapidly disintegrating vestige of a culture full of ugliness, wrongheadedness, of a kind not known in the West since its conversion in late antiquities slash the early Middle Ages. It's crucial for us now to occupy ourselves with all that is true and honorable, all that is truly beautiful, enriching, and to avoid with all of our strength the soul-destroying clutter that's strewn about us, shouting at us through our radios and TVs, waving at us from billboards and posters and neon signs, seeping into our eyes and ears whenever and wherever it can. If these things weigh down our soul, make our roots too shallow, then we will never be able to even make a beginning in the high calling of the Christian life, the great adventure that the repentant publican is now called out to. Search out and find in the classical Western culture the enriching, fertile soil that will let the roots of our soul grow strong enough and deep enough that they can support our spirits as they ascend to the heights in which God is calling us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.